Something is wrong. Something is wrong with me. Lizzie, I know. That's why we need to get you help. No, but I'm dying. Don't you understand? No, I'm I don't understand. But I am. I'm dying. I'm dying. It's on the inside. So don't try and understand. Why are you trying so hard to Did ruin I my life? You'll thank me later. For what? Leaving Dad? I'm trying to give you every opportunity that I can. For what? So I can become a strong, independent woman like you? Such a slightest breath And I know who I am Look at me! I'm about to have our baby! Why is that not enough for you? Of course it's enough! I'm not going anywhere, I'm here with you. I want to be alone with you. See, this is why it scares me, is because you don't take it seriously. I take it seriously. I think it's pretty, like... You have a camera in my face in the bathroom. Yeah, you look beautiful in the morning, by the way. Maybe we shouldn't have the camera. Uh, hello? Words that define And they scream it out loud Welcome to Series 3 of The Projectionist Podcast. Horror films affect us all in different ways, but fear is a universal and psychologically fascinating emotion. This season, we're talking about women in horror, dividing our exploration into themes including demons, pregnancy, the detective, the extreme, perfection, and love. We'll be discussing the portrayal of female subjectivity in horror, as well as the impact that watching them can have on us as women. Don't be scared, you're safe with us. Thank you, Sarah. We'll be in touch. And we're recording. We're back. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Mary. We are yet again joined by an amazing guest, friend of the pod, Mike Munzer, host of The Evolution of Horror. Hi, Mike. Hello. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. This is very exciting. I'm a big fan of this podcast, so it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I feel like we're among like podcast royalty today. Um, I Definitely have... horror podcast royalty. Absolutely. That's the thing. No. Absolutely. We couldn't have done a horror series without you. Well, I mean, I've never been able to do a horror series without you, Mary, as well. I mean, you've been on every single series of my podcast, so, you know, it's only fair. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, and today we're joined together to talk about actually the last... Uh, episode in the series on women and horror. Today we're going to be looking at demons. Mm. Uh, we've got Jennifer's body and paranormal activity. But before I start, Mike, tell us a little bit about evolution of horror for like the two people out there <laughs> who don't know what it is. It's always good to find people that don't know what it is. Uh, yeah, it's, it is essentially a, f- a podcast that kind of does what the title suggests. It looks at the evolution and the history of the horror genre. Um, each week I'm joined by a different guest and we talk about a different film. And it's kind of structured a little bit like this podcast where you sh- I've structured it in series series uh, with different themes, sort of different subgenres. So I did a series on slasher movies, I did a series on ghost stories, on folk horror. At the moment I'm doing a series on the occult and sort of satanic witchy movies. Uh, and yeah, we just we just discuss the films in depth and we sort of look at their place within the genre and the subgenre. So it's great fun because I just get to nerd out with different horror fans every week about different, like all my favourite films basically. So it's good. Oh, really cool. I mean, I've learned a lot listening to your podcast. Oh, I mean, turned on to amazing titles that I probably wouldn't have otherwise discovered. Mm, I think that's the most fun part is like programming film 
films for myself that I've never seen that I always knew I should watch, you know, or listening to recommendations from other people and then putting them in the podcast to discuss them. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Mm. Actually, it feels so fitting that you're with us today to talk about Demon series, just because it ties in so well with your current series on occult and witches. Yeah. And I think you've also touched on demons as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I suppose today's kind of discussion is going to be more centered around. Uh, I guess the representation of women. Um, yeah, I mean, that does seem, that's something I've kind of thought listening to this particular series, The Occult. Mm. It does seem to be, it feel like it's like something that's centered quite a lot around women. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know why that would be, that that particular subgenre is so, it just happens to spawn a lot of feminist films or a lot of fun films that aren't feminist, but other people read them as feminists. Yeah, I wonder if it's got something to do with kind of control and paranoia and a lot of these kind of themes that go with the way women have been treated maybe and especially during the 60s and 70s I wonder if it movies like Rosemary's Baby and some of those you know really iconic ones I guess coincided with things like second wave feminism and stuff and I wonder if that had something to do with it but yeah you're right although actually I find that it happens with a lot of areas of horror yeah. we, weirdly we discussed paranormal activity in a series I did on ghost stories and again there is a there was definitely a running theme with ghost stories on this idea of and we'll talk about it with probably with paranormal activity but this idea of the quote unquote sort of hysterical woman that no one believes you yeah. know and that is that's definitely part of ghost stories but it is part of a cult as well you know mm-hmm. like obviously Rosemary's Baby and various others yeah yeah wow. we were sort of talking about that with Zoe uh, yesterday mm. recording our um, Extremity episode uh-huh. uh, and just the idea of, of like horror as being a particular kind of source of interest for women yeah I think. it is yeah, yeah. Uh, it is one of the uh, there was a statistic wasn't there I can't remember what it was exactly but someone was showing that it's the genre that has the most parts and the most lines for women out of any genre of cinema apparently which is crazy really to think about that but yeah it's interesting that you even said uh, you use the word hysterical because Mm -hmm. actually I was looking at um, when the articulation of the trauma or the symptom fails Mm -hmm. so language is no longer actually functional in representing and, and communicating the problem uh, it's the body that does the talking. Ah. The symptom is written on the body. And, yes. and so many of these films where uh, the narrative is structured around uh, an, inv- an invasive force overtaking the woman's body and like manipulating her or tormenting her in some way or turning her into a predator, yeah. uh, usually it's, it's, it's very physical. There's like a huge physical component to it. And things are not said verbally, but they're communicated through the body. So mm. it's very interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Maybe because of that breakdown of the communication around women being believed, yeah. like what they're saying just isn't accepted. So it has to come through in other ways that are more powerful and maybe actually scarier. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, like vomiting. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. We can actually start with paranormal activity. It feels yeah, like a good segue. Yeah. It's going to be quite interesting because that idea of what you say of the body being invaded, I think we've got an interesting kind of double bill in the in one film it feels like an invasion, in another film it maybe feels like someone just becoming yeah, who yes. they are. Oh, yes. yeah. But anyway, so I've got a very short <laughs> synopsis for paranormal activity because it's a very simple film. Um, a couple, Katie and Micah, have recently moved in together. Micah buys a fancy camera in order to document the unexplained events happening in their house, which seemingly follow Katie around. Perfect. Mm. This is a 2007 release. It's the very first one in the Paranormal Activity franchise. And Oren Pelly is responsible for this film. It is quite extraordinary because the budget, it was like a micro budget oh, of yeah. $15,000. Wow. 
and it went on it went on to make nearly 200 million dollars yeah. i think at the time of its release it was the most profitable film yeah. ever made it is one of the most successful yeah. movies ever made isn't it definitely in terms of the horror genre and i think you know it's obviously everyone thinks of blair witch project yes. as kind of launching the found footage which it did really but I think it was Paranormal Activity that then started that wave of, yes. of everyone decided to make a, a found footage movie because you realise how cheap and easily you can make a film and how much money it can make. Yeah, and uh, So Paranormal Activity is so powerful because so much of it is just, you're just watching a static shot of a bedroom and yet yeah. it's still frightening. Like I remember the first time I saw it in cinemas and just the atmosphere of everyone in the cinema kind of screaming and giggling and laughing and gasping. And sometimes it would just be like a door moving an inch yeah. or a bed sheet just twitching slightly. And the power of it is that that will make people leap out of their seats. So oh, yeah, it's pretty it was, incredible in, it was, that, in that regard. It was the first like one that they used sort of like that sort of like night vision footage of the mm-hmm. audience to advertise it. Wasn't yes. it? That's yeah. what I remember about exactly, it. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, just, just shots of just terrified audience yeah. members. I think that's and so much of those types of films is about the marketing isn't it and, and, and how will they dress it up as this is the most terrifying thing you'll ever see Paranormal Activity had a lot of that going on I think I just remember being very excited to go see it Yeah, but it was genuinely terrifying that's mm-hmm. the thing you don't often get that with I mean I feel like as you get more and more into the horror genre as you get more used to it you get that less and less Paranormal yeah. Activity definitely scared me yeah definitely me and me too and I think it's now it's sometimes now you can sort of cynically look back on it and think oh it's not it's not all that but that's because we've seen a million films replica it as well whereas that was one of the first to do what it did yeah yeah and I mean you're right like the basic element of it is is pretty straightforward it's not Mm. that gimmicky it's really just looking at uh, what's going on inside this house uh, between these this young couple and at first they both present as being pretty normal Um, Katie who is the one who's experiencing the difficulty with this uh, quote-unquote haunting, um, she presents as being quite like a normal girl, right? Um, We just see her, she's a student, she's a literature student, she wants to be a teacher, she's got this hobby of like making bead necklaces. She presents like a pretty average like picture, nothing out of the ordinary in terms of anything spooky with her. But um, she she describes from childhood when it started to happen that she felt there was an entity in her room. She claims that it was something at the foot of her bed. Yeah. Do you think it's possible that this belief that there's a demon following her is just an overblown explanation that is actually connected to some form of abuse? I think that's definitely something that you could argue all the way through the series, actually, because the sequel is about her sister. So right. I don't know if you've seen that. Basically, the whole series becomes the story of their family. Really? So the sequel, the second one, it's not as good, sadly, but it is. it continues on, or it's or maybe set just beforehand, I can't remember, but it's about her, her sister. And, and, she, and, oh. and, and she's being haunted by the same thing. And then the third one is a sort of prequel, and it's set in the 1980s when they're children, when they're little girls, and the experience they have when they're children. Um, and so this whole story unravels, and it is About exactly like you said, it's the story of these two sisters. And it's never explicitly, it's never literally that there is some form of abuse or trauma. Mm-hmm. Like, it stays purely in the supernatural sure. realm. But I think you could read it that way, definitely, that essentially these films are all about these two sisters and the trauma that they're 
that they've suffered when they were children and them still kind of being stuck in that sort of cycle. Oh yeah. my gosh, because I've not watched the rest of the franchise. Have you, Sarah? No, I've never seen any of the mm. others. They're, they're actually quite, well, they're not great, but they I kind of like the way that they all they all sort of weave into one another and, okay. and timelines kind of start to sort of loop and it goes sort of back and forward. And yeah, everything is kind of in some way linked. And even there are some late, I think there are five or six altogether. And there are even some that feel like they're new stories about new characters, but then you'll suddenly start to realise that actually they are in some way linked to these two sisters, like they live next door to them or something. Wow. So everything is is exactly like you said, Mary, that it's to do with the trauma that these two little girls suffered and how it's affected their lives and all the people around them. That's what the whole series is about, really. Wow. Mm. So it's quite interesting that you, you got that from the first one. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. I, this makes me want to see the rest of this franchise. Yeah, yeah. that's the way you such just an interesting it. reading of it. It, it is, is really good. I mean, like, it's quite fun as a franchise. It is. But it's more... I mean, the problem is it is just the same thing. Every film <laughs> is like a night vision shot of a room and then something goes bang. And, and after a while, you're like, okay, I, I know what's coming now. But, uh, but I think it's interesting what they did with the mythology and everything, yeah. It's, it's so interesting how... Initially, I really thought the problem was Mika. I thought he's the over overbearing one. He's trying to be, I mean, he's doing it with good intentions. He's trying to protect his girlfriend. But because she always complained about him fo following her around mm. with the camera and he was sometimes making like, you know, like suggestive comments initially, I thought, oh, he's he's the bothersome one. Yes. But actually, no. That he's is just... so interesting because that is often the reading of it. I've heard so many people just like mm. say that it's like almost like, a, a domestic violence movie, like right. also, you know, like that she's got like this sort of abusive ex that follows her around, like well, in this is. way, and then he's like sort of like, but you know, like in the sense of the demon being like being violent. Oh my like god! But then everyone just blame Mika. Mika. Um, in yeah, I've heard so many people like right. absolutely hate him. Like it's like a toxic masculinity. And <laughs> well, Mika like, is awful to be fair. <laughs> like, he's I, he's I don't know whether you I don't know whether he's evil, but he is. A, a very irritating character and there are times when he just won't listen to her That's or he'll it. just won't do things that clearly he should be doing or he'll do things that he shouldn't be doing and you're like come on like you just I think I feel so much for Katie throughout the whole mm -hmm. thing and he does seem to be quite useless through quite a lot of it and I think that in itself is interesting that, that, that it's that and it's not so much that he's in any, I suppose, not directly abusive or anything like that, or toxic, no. but just he's just very dismissive of her, I yeah. think, which is a frustrating thing to watch. But it just is interesting that in a film about like demonic possession and people being thrown around, that people respond to like the visceral horror of the couple, mm, or like mm -hmm. the you know like the the strange like toxic you know like behaviours that yeah. couples yeah. get into. But that's the thing that people are like, oh no, can't <laughs> can't do it. Totally. Well, like, well, when you've got a film where you don't see that much actual horror mm -hmm. really the film does rest on this couple like really apart from the odd you know cloven hoof footprints that you see and stuff yeah. it's, it's basically <laughs> just you're watching a couple live their lives every day so it needs to all be rooted in that doesn't yeah. it for it to work which I think it does because you, you are thinking this whole time oh is he is he bad? Is it his fault? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, what's going on here sort of thing. So. And it's actually a very clever misdirection because mm. it makes us question him. Mm -hmm. We don't fully trust him. Mm -hmm. And then, but we, we can see that he truly cares about her. But as you say, he's very dismissive. He doesn't really listen to her. Like he, he you know, he betrayed her trust with the Ouija board. You yes, know? yes. Um, <laughs> that was a mistake. <laughs> I always think when the Ouija board catches fire, I'm like, why didn't the table burn? Like what? Yeah, I know. But it's magic, Mary. It's magic. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah. so funny. Yeah. 
But yeah, like it's just because there's in, in psychoanalysis, there's a lot of interesting ideas about hysteria, um, which I think historically has always been tied to women mm. um, as a woman's disease. Right. Yeah. But with Freud, I mean, he he fully accepted that men could be hysterics. Like he didn't meet, really make it a gendered thing. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, in psychoanalysis, it's believed that hysteria is a condition where the subject is no longer capable of saying what's wrong yes and so it becomes a mental disorder it, it, it all their words become trapped in their body and they try and kind of roam around as you know it's, instead of the wandering womb it's the wandering signifier mm. you know like the words are trapped inside the body looking for a way to be expressed yes. and they start to manifest on the surface level through through symptoms and i'm looking at at, at katie in the film and you know, she, there's clearly something that's happened in her past. It's very difficult for her yeah. to talk about. And, she, but ultimately she also feels everything. She seems so sensitive. She stores sensations in her body and then seems to fashion them into, uh, into symptoms. It's, it's very much like classic hysteria thing. And I couldn't help but like notice like her mental deterioration throughout the film. Like, Initially, she was just a bit irritated, you know, with having cameras in the house and she had a rule about no recording, you know, at certain sensitive times, which is yes. perfectly acceptable. But then over time, when the incidents happened more and more, it, it was interesting for me to notice, like, she went outside and silently just sat on, like, that swing. Mm. And I, for me, that was one of the scariest moments because she was, like, dissociated. Mm. She wasn't fully present. It's like she was gone. Yeah. And she almost becomes sort of catatonic towards the yeah. end of the film, doesn't she? Yeah. You know? And she just completely... Yeah, you're right. Like, she, she, she's just kind of like... Her body's lifeless. Yeah. And th actually, those were the bits that scared me the most. Not really yeah. the jump scares. Yeah. It was seeing her... She's such a great actress. She, she, her disturbance and her kind of almost disappearance. Yes. Yeah. And that's the thing about PTSD is that the person is so much... Uh, I guess steeped in their trauma from the past mm -hmm. that they're they cannot be fully present yes and to witness that for me that's very scary you know yeah it's this idea of I think it happens with a lot of demon films obviously they're usually linked to possessions right. and it's this idea of this woman being almost like hollowed out from the inside you know till she's just this shell of what she was I suppose mm -hmm. and that literally so when it's demonic possessions and stuff but yeah but like the entity yeah, yeah. the entity even the exorcist I suppose and what the happens to Reagan but yeah yeah, so yeah. True. Um, it is interesting that the Ouija board burns then in that sort of like in that sort of tyrannical situation where like language is being obliterated, which I guess is what abusers do to you. Isn't mm. it? They like rob you of the of the idea that you can tell by sort yeah. of confusing you about language, about speech, about what's true, about you know gaslighting. that kind of thing. Gaslighting. Yeah, so, yeah. so true. And it's interesting this idea of like you know the kind of invasion of privacy of this film of the, the camera going in the bedroom and like you say Mika filming her when she doesn't want to be filmed. I think it's something that is just a trapping of found footage as well because there's always that there always has to be a reason why we're seeing what we're seeing. Like there has to be a reason within the world of the film why this person is filming something. I think it's quite a good. Um, set up that this film is the whole point they're filming is to catch ghosts in, on camera but I think that some of the worst found footage films that's the problem it's like why are you still filming this or why are we seeing somebody do this thing you know there's no reason for this character to be filming it um, so they always have to come up with reasons it's the same with Blair Witch Project you know there's this constant Heather is filming everything and the guys are shouting at saying why are you still filming you know we're really in trouble turn off the camera and there's a lot of that in this as well with Katie saying stop filming me um, and it works both 
both ways because I think it's it's obviously they have to they have to constantly acknowledge why Mika is filming so we can see the film. But uh, also, I think it you, you have to then play into that theme of yeah him kind of invading her privacy in some way yeah. always seeing something that we shouldn't be seeing throughout mm. this whole film a bit like the primal scene in psychoanalysis where we're glimpsing into some private mm. encounter that does, doesn't actually is not is not meant for us yes but we're kind of like peeping toms witnessing it that's the whole cinematic experience we're glimpsing into this world that doesn't in, include us and like you say Mary it's very much a lot of it is set in a bedroom or there's a lot in bathrooms there's a lot in spaces that are intimate spaces. very intimate and private yeah. For me, it's also interesting that, like, because Mika is, he he feels sorry for for Katie and he wants to help her and he's kind of shouldering on this responsibility. He he wants to be the one. So he's like a Ghostbuster. Like yeah. he's trying yeah. to use like his technology to like isolate yeah. the events. Um, and the the thing about stalking and voyeuristically looking in that way is that by over investing the subject you're looking at and like almost fetishizing parts of them, mm. you reduce their castrating agency. So they can no longer harm you mm -hmm. if they know that you're constantly looking at them. But that's the thing about trauma mm. is that that's not a way to defeat it. You cannot, you know, there's something else that ha you have to process the trauma. Yes. Just merely looking, i.e. having PTSD and merely remembering and bearing witness again and again every day to your trauma is mm. not enough. No. Something else has to happen. You cannot... You cannot uh, reduce the harmful potential of what you're looking at simply by over-investing it with, over it with your gaze. Mm. You have to do something else to break it down. That they're in the mystery of how do you how do you slay your demons? Yeah, literally. I mean, I'm yeah. actually asking, like, if anyone knows, yeah. <laughs> please write in with all your suggestions. Yeah. <laughs> you start a film podcast. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly. 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 The therapy, yeah, the therapy is happening right now. Yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> There's no better therapy than film discussions. I'll tell you. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, their initial like ghost advisor or consultant who um, said he's not a demonolo demonologist. This is not his area of expertise. When he came back the second time, he basically fled right away. Mm -hmm. He felt that the energy in the room was too powerful. That's right, yeah. And he had to leave. He was terrified. And that made me think so much of like the taboo around mental illness and particularly with trauma. That is the worst fear of someone who's suffering if they think that other people are going to run scared from that. Yeah, the people you know? don't want to be around it almost. Yeah, yeah. That's, That's so like repelling, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of, it's terrifying when you see it actually happening, like you, the person can't even enter your space. Yeah. They feel overpowered by your baggage that, you know, you, you were hoping would just be invisible, but they can see it. Yeah. And Mika is, you know, it, I think that's part of what makes him quite a, a, an unlikable character, is that he's kind of enjoying it. Like he, he, like you said, he's got all of his technology, he's recording stuff, he's using his microphones and his cameras, and you kind of get the feeling initially that he's getting quite a thrill out of it about catching something. If this was set a few years later, it would be like he wants to be some sort of viral star from it, you know? Uh, and uh, But in that way, he's kind of, in some ways, more like us as an audience, right? It's that same sort of thing of like, we're kind of scared, but also we kind of want more. We're getting a, a, a tiny thrill out of it. In him being literally the filmmaker within the story and giving us this kind of these kind of scary thrills and even though you kind of get where Katie's coming from where she's like stop filming this please like stop it all 
we kind of want it to keep going, obviously, because it's a good, fun, scary film. And it's that same kind of link, I suppose, that we have with Mika, as annoying as he is <laughs> as a character. We've sort of talked about that phenomenon before. I think it fits in with the whole, like, detective character. Yes. Like, who I think is... Who I, who I th- don't think I find as insufferable as everyone else mm-hmm. does, because mm-hmm. I think I really relate to that. And, and you need that. You absolutely need yeah. that character, don't you? Otherwise, you don't have a film most of yeah, the time. Yeah, exactly. it's like the Wicker Man. Yes. Like people, find, you know, are just like, why? Just like, just join in with the orgies. Stop looking for the girl. Mm. Like, keep looking for the girl. Yeah. <laughs> Surely. Like, looking um, for a girl is more fun than an orgy. I, like, that's what I think. And we all like, watch horror films, and audiences obviously get annoyed, and they go, why is she going back into that house? Or yeah. why is that character doing that thing but you don't really think that because otherwise there wouldn't be a film if yeah, they didn't exactly. do those things then literally it would just be like okay well the end <laughs> like nothing happened so yeah you want you know it's Carl McLaughlin in Blue Velvet isn't it it's like you want him to go in that cupboard you want him to investigate what's going on and you want that kind of voyeur doesn't uh, she say to him in Blue Velvet like I don't know if you're a detective or a pervert yeah, or, yeah it's like I think incredible it's incredible line yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah it's that that idea of I don't know why that character oh, kind of reoccurs, especially in sort of a cold like ghosty mm-hmm. things but there is that character that just cannot stop like, exactly. trying to find out and yeah. like it's the, I don't know and failing or yeah. like there's some kind of impotence in it's that the same with character. Peeping Tom isn't it and that yeah. Peeping Tom that was considered such a shocking taboo film and I think it's because it makes us reckon with ourselves as audiences isn't it it's mm-hmm. kind of like how much we actually like watching this kind of stuff yeah. really and Peeping Tom overtly kind of points that out almost you know doesn't it makes us look at ourselves sort of thing mm-hmm. yeah I was searching for like um, you know I just typed in like paranormal activity explained in YouTube and I came across this channel and this one video it's like about 10 minutes mm-hmm. I kid you not at the end of it I was in floods of tears mm-hmm. it was so moving wow it was beautiful and I oh, even commented like curfew. yeah cultural <laughs> curfew everyone needs to check him out I commented I'm like damn kid you're wise <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, there's a there's an incredible film, actually. Uh, it's premiering at Glasgow at Fright Fest, but yeah. I think hopefully it's getting a release this year. Uh, it's called Death of a Vlogger, and oh, yeah. it's really good. And actually, it's very similar to what we've just been discussing. So it is kind of like a paranormal activity, but for the YouTuber era. Really? And it's about this vlogger, and he's kind of known as being this guy that kind of does stupid things on camera for hits and for audiences and stuff. Uh, but then he, he's recording a video where he's talking to the camera and something moves in the background of the frame and suddenly there's millions of comments going, what the hell was that? And he didn't even notice it while he was vlogging. And then it slowly becomes this 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 YouTube star starts to film his flat and set up cameras in his flat in order to catch what's uh, maybe a ghost. Right. But then, so it starts off like a classic kind of paranormal activity film, but then it starts to go into, actually, is this all a hoax? Is this guy just doing what he's doing for you know for audiences views. for views oh and then he starts being the sub the victim of online abuse uh, and people kind of you know all of the horrible sort of trolly things that people say on youtube like you're a fake kill yourself and all this and then it turns into this really horrible human story and the whole way through you don't quite know whether this is genuine whether he's lying whether there's actually a ghost or whether he's in danger just from crazy youtube fans now and it's really good and it's like it's made very very low budget by a guy in his 20s, really annoyingly young guy, mm-hmm. who just made this film with his friends in his bedroom, and it's really good. So yeah, oh Death God, of a Vlogger, check it out. I cannot wait to see that. Mm, it's really good, really good. Yeah, I think it's going to come straight to OD, like on demand this year, I think. Oh. Um, or if you happen to be at Fright Fest in Glasgow, but it's, it's premiering there. But, wow. Yeah, check it out. It's very good, especially if you like paranormal activity and those sorts of horror films where yeah. it's like those kind of creepy... 
you know, something, things that go bump in the night yes. kind of scares, you know, it's really interesting. Yeah. But actually hearing you talk about this new film and also considering paranormal activity, I can't help but think that, you know, for people who like content creators who are always like Instagramming and like mm. sharing their stories, but they're, they're very online. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is an invas- invasive force all the time. Like, Absolutely. It, you're, it's kind of like home invasion, but it's like everywhere yeah. invasion <laughs> you know like you're there is they feel the pressure to constantly post mm-hmm. they feel the pressure to um make their lives available to everyone all the time yeah. and they're being watched and so the possession thing also like i feel taps into that definitely definitely and paranormal activity feels like it must have been just on the cusp of that culture and even though it's not overtly about no. that you can very much see it as being that like like you said mika being that type of a person mika would be an instagram star definitely like... yeah definitely <laughs> yeah. yeah so that's really interesting about it it's like a, a funny little time capsule where it's just in between yeah. all of those kind of things yeah that's so true mm. Should we move on to our next film? Yes. Which is also definitely a time capsule. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to synopsize. Yeah. A little bit longer, this one. Um, Needy is the frumpy best friend to popular cheerleader Jennifer. Their intense, inseparable relationship is threatening to Needy's boyfriend, Chip. One night, Jennifer convinces Needy to accompany her to the town's only bar to see a MySpace band fronted by Seth from the OC. When the band bar- when the when the bar burns down, Jennifer disappears with the band in their van and appears later in the night at Needy's house, bloody and dishevelled. Soon after, the town's young men begin to turn up murdered and mutilated, and only Needy knows who's behind it. Perfect, perfect. 2009 release, mm-hmm. so similar type of time. Um, American film, supernatural horror, dark comedy, sort of sat. I would say almost satire. Mm, definitely, too. definitely. So it's written by Diablo Cody, who wrote Juno. Yes. Um, and directed by my beloved Karen Kusama. <laughs> oh, Karen Kusama. What Love a filmmaker. Her. I know, she's yeah. amazing. I'm actually quite surprised that this was as. When I looked, I rewatched it last night, and I was surprised it was as late as 2009 in a way. Yeah. It feels almost like it could have been that kind of early 2000s yeah. sort of 10 things I hate about you yeah. kind of era, you know? Like it feels like one of those like. Like the OC kind of era of teen movies. It very much is. I think that when I first saw it, it was a bit. It was later after mm-hmm. it came out, but I was definitely drawn to it because I think I was missing that era of, yeah. of teen movies. It was in like a real sort of like that just stopped. We were kind of in the sort of Judd Apatow exactly. era by then, yeah. which is quite different. It's isn't so it? different, and yeah. I, I guess I just watched it because it's named after a Courtney Love song. And, yeah, you know, I just yeah. wanted. Yeah, that was the whole reason. I don't think I even liked horror at the time mm-hmm. that I watched it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's exactly what it is. What did you so, guys think of Juno? Did, did you like Juno? Have you seen it? Because that's a film that I know a lot of people found very irritating and that I kind of quirky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer Brick, which is sometimes oh. it gets compared to. I think Brick is superior. Oh, yeah. Oh, Ryan. Yeah, yeah Ryan exactly. Johnson. Yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> what do you I think, think Sarah? G- I mean, I think Juno is just like of a certain time and for a certain age. I think like, yeah, I think true. that it, actually when it came out and that the script was amazing, it was really good. It was, we hadn't really seen anything like it before. And it's really easy for us to sort of like move yeah. past, like, it's just a stage of growing up, isn't it? That you like, you change your taste and you become very ungrateful for what came before. And I think that's kind of how we view Juno now when we view it as very twee. But I think, I don't know, I think everything Diablo does. It has its place. Well, yeah. I think to be honest, that is what I had with Jennifer's body initially like this is the second time I watched it for this podcast the first time I watched it I wasn't a big fan and I I think maybe I'd already just got past that point of 
I was already too old for this kind of teen movie, yeah. maybe, I think. And I was a bit like, oh, it, it wasn't quite as nasty as I wanted it to be. Or it wasn't quite as... I don't know. It just didn't quite give me what I wanted at the time when I first saw it. I think it's I wanted scary. it to be more of a horror, maybe, or something. Yeah. And it is very much a teen movie, right? But then I think what coming to it fresh this time around, knowing what I was in for, there was a lot of it that I really appreciated this time around. Yeah. I think it was it was a huge flop when it came out. Yeah. I think it was marketed really wrongly, mm-hmm. um, and then it was it was a lot sort of a bit like obviously Hereditary wasn't a flop, but that was like marketed as something completely different mm-hmm. than it what was it was. Marketed wrongly. As and well, yeah. with uh, Jennifer's Body, I think it was just sort of marketed as yeah, because just, I just like, remember just Megan Fox, yes. like you know, being sexy, yes. which is not it is it isn't actually no. Yeah, you're right. Like I just remember the poster before before I watched the film. I just remember the the marketing around it, and there's that poster of Megan Fox in the classroom, and it says "Hell yeah" on the blackboard, and mm. it's like I like I like that, but it didn't really kind of I don't know. It didn't really set the groundwork for what the film was about. Yeah, agreed. And maybe that that could have just been like studio interfering it and being like was. play up Megan Fox's sexiness and stuff. Yeah, mm. it was and, sort of at the tail end of that like awful early two thousands like wildly sexist time. Yes. And then, um, now, now it's like now we've sort of everyone's kind of embraced it, and also it's like a queer classic because yeah. it definitely wasn't reckoned. I mean. When I watched it this time, it's like it's like it's Needy and Jennifer that are in a relationship. Absolutely, like it's like it's totally. like they're, we're talking about like two different films with the relationship with three people in them, <laughs> and this is definitely one of them. It's like total lesbian classic. It's, totally, it's great. well, all the guys in it are kind of pathetic. Yeah, and, and <laughs> a waste of time, yeah. aren't they as well? And yeah. they have this like I love. I just like there's that bit when Jennifer's like about to kill Chip in the like abandoned swimming pool, mm. and they're kissing, and Needy like goes like puts her hand on her lip, and it was just like this. I I don't know, it's like amazing, like just deeply sexual connection that they've got that she mm. like, yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's great. It's definitely, yeah. we showed it at our, my film club, which is kind of oh. accidentally a lesbian film club. We just keep showing films where like men, like women kill men and then get together. Amazing. So the, this is the thing. So the force that invades Jennifer in this film is a suck is a succubus. She's yeah. basically a succubus. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's a very interesting type of demon for me yeah. because it's like um, it's the female version of the incubus. It's the it's like again like the entity. It's um, the thing that hovers over your body. And, and, and I just remember all these wonderful classic paintings of like succubi and incubi, mm. and it's kind of it's something connected to the dream world but also it's something torment tormenting you it's sexualized yes is it always female as well like does the, the succubus su- is female and the male one is incubus I right think. right yeah. that makes it because it's always linked to, to women isn't it succubus yes yeah yeah yeah, mm. yeah. and the, the whole way that she obviously the demonic transference is interesting just the fact that it even has the word transference in it right away it's like psychoanalytic right you know yeah. that they this this hilariously named band, uh, Low, Low Shoulder, Shoulder, which I was trying to work out, like, why are they called Low Shoulder? The, that is what makes it the biggest time capsule, the indie band yeah. thing. Oh it's so God. funny. I love that about it. And also, what's his name from the OC is the lead singer of the, of the indie band I know, band they even well. made, sort of make a comment about, like, how unless you get on some, like, bullshit TV show, yeah, yeah. you're not going to be... And that's, like, how so many bands of the time got successful by being on an episode of the OC. There was, like... <laughs> and they got it so right, like, the look of that band 
sounds, the way that they wear the makeup, the kind of school uniformy sort of things they wear, it's and the act, the song itself, oh. like the music. It was a perfect, perfect like satire of it's that type of like era in that band. Song. I, yeah. yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> but also, you kind of know objectively how bad it actually yeah, is. Yeah, of course. As well, you know, yeah. it's, it's brilliant. They're just the ultimate posers, aren't they? Exactly. And also the fact that, so it's just kind of setting the groundwork of the topography of this town mm-hmm. because it's called Devil's Kettle. Yes. And it's this, it's named after this waterfall where, I, I mean, I can't believe it. It's just so vaginal. Like the water falls <laughs> yeah. into this like whirlpool. No one knows where it goes. And it's, yeah. but it's almost like the abyss. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it's confusing and it's discombobulating. It's no one can work it out. It's mysterious, <laughs> you know. And this is exactly where. And this is also where they throw the the, the murder weapon, yes. the Bowie knife. So that, again, like it's also very coital, you know. Mm. Like, um, and I just couldn't help but think that so much of the film is hinging around the maybe the high school mystery of trying to work out the mean girl who's popular. Yeah. And she's dangerous and somehow trying to punish her for her sex for her sexuality or her yeah. Pr- promiscuity yeah definitely it, it reminded me maybe this is another reason why it feels almost like it belongs earlier it, it could it could almost feel like a storyline in Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something <laughs> this idea of like this kind of teen drama but that's kind of told as a metaphor in some kind of horror demonic evil way you know where you know in Buffy they had storylines like that where it was like werewolves or whatever you know and it it works really well I think high school is always a good place you know to convert to hell in some way in a movie isn't it yeah but at the same time I do think it kind of breaks a lot of those kind of conventions it sets up I mean it's kind of like it's pretty much a rape revenge Mm-hmm. Except for the rape victim's not remotely interested in getting revenge, you know. No, like it's, yeah. I think that's really interesting. Oh. That she kind of like breaks a lot of the, the things that you kind of expect from Jennifer, are not what you get in the mm. end. I think I, I think there is something a little bit more original about this film yeah. than the than the gen- general kind of nineties like teen movie setup. Yeah, definitely. Because do you think we're supposed to in? Is Jennifer the the villain in this film? You know, is she the monster? Is she the baddie? I suppose like that's the interesting thing about it, isn't it? Yeah, I think she's just kind of. I think there is something so interesting about like, especially because we were talking about language earlier. Mm. There is so, and you know, like we constantly talk about this, but I'm really interested in women, like women vomiting. What mm-hmm. Mary said before, the idea of like when discourse fails, like there's something worse will come out, mm-hmm. and like Jennifer's. She's got such a, a disgusting way of talking. There's that mm. bit in the beginning when she's like, it smells like Thai food in here. Have you guys been fucking? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, it's so disgusting. But she, and then she like sort of comes in and vomits up all of this black stuff. And mm-hmm. I don't know. But then also her speech is really kind of confused at the in the first half of the film. She's yes. kind of like, when she's talking to the band, like she's like, is she trying to be coy or is she actually a bit of a doofus? Like what, like what is it? You know, she's got this really mixed yeah. up way of speaking. And then throughout the second half of the film, she doesn't put a foot wrong she's like this flawless just she's just mean yeah like but she does I don't know and her lines get better her lines get better she's like super you know she's more confident she's really confident like PMS isn't real like it's all you know (laughs) don't be a player hater my personal favorite yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's just kind of it's sort of usually when someone gets possessed usually it's like this idea of like where's my like beautiful little girl gone like why are you turning into a monster thing of teenagehood but for her it's like she was already a monster Mm -hmm. she was already you know she was already having sex she was already having anal sex she was like you know like so and then this just kind of turns her into a grown-up into like a woman Mm. you know she's like it's just it's like the path to it's just 
the kind of the path to success for her. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah, I haven't quite fully formed it, but there's. I think there's. Yeah, you're right. There's something there about like there because it is a high school movie. We can't escape the fact that it's a developmental movie. It is. They're trying to find their footing as young adults. Definitely. Um, and they're they're kind of on a transformation journey. Mm. Can, you can never really escape that always. with any. Yeah, yeah. It's always the way. And I think it's also just about it's like about um, Jennifer's kind of ease of transformation and Needy's struggle with transformation. And I think the reason that Jennifer has to die at the end is not because Jennifer's promiscuous. It's because like Needy has to transform. Yeah. Like I think it's just like they, it's really just kind of about their relationship and how they can't how like one of them can't survive without the other one being dead, which is often what kind of happens with like mm-hmm. girls' high school relationships. BFFs. You don't have to kill your like be like your BFF, but at some point you do kind of have to like cut the ties. Yeah, yeah, you do like so that you can kind of be you can grow up too. Mm-hmm. In which case, I wonder whether it's more um, a film about like identity formation rather than hysteria, then and like the. But the pathologized version of that is the borderline personality disorder, where we absorb someone else's identity into our own because we feel like there's something not quite mature, not quite like mastered in ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, it, and that's the thing about the, her, what she also does when she consumes men. Mm-hmm. She is literally ingesting, like she's yeah. incorporating their energy into her into herself as a demon, and this is this is like her life force. Yeah. That's how she gets like her. You know, which might also be an explanation of to why she gets so confident. As the oh, other thing, yeah. you know, she's absorbing. She's absorbing. Like, uh, I'm saying this in total air quotes. I don't use this phrase, but she's absorbing male privilege. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, that's that. Yeah, that might be. You know, to do with it. So she kind of absorbs like all of this like masculine like self confidence and you know I, I I deserve to be here yeah sort of ness and mm. then needy needy in the end absorbs a bit absorbs of absorbs Jennifer yeah yeah right yeah it's really about her journey isn't it it feels Absolutely. like needy's journey really yeah. and her kind of finding that confidence I love the 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 scene with the two sex scenes juxtaposed Same. where you've got the kind of like sexy movie sex scene that's you know Megan Fox and the kind of horror and the biting and the seduction like yeah alongside the kind of the awkward classic first time teenage mm-hmm. sex kind of thing I think that works so well yeah. and it's, it's a weird film tonally isn't it like the way it goes from really funny and silly to sometimes really dark like the scene when she's being sacrificed with the knife it does swing from being really funny to really like oh this is actually quite a disturbing thing you know like because Megan Fox is playing it really really dead straight that moment even though the boys are being such douchebags and ridiculous <laughs> idiots at the same time and I think I can see why for a lot of audiences it's quite a strange, jarring watch that a lot of people just didn't quite get it the first mm-hmm. time they saw it because it is a weird mix of tones and genres yeah. and that kind of thing. Maybe they just didn't know how to react to it yeah. because there are some genuinely scary bits. There are. But then it's also like, yeah, when she's getting tortured, there's also these kind of little comedy lines. Yeah. You know, like... And they make a lot of jokes about, and again, it's probably something that a lot of American audiences maybe don't want to joke about, this idea of kids in high school being killed off in nightclubs or whatever. And, and you know, funerals oh, yeah. for these dead kids. And then there are just like these quippy one lines coming from it or jokes being made out of it all the time. And it is funny, but it does sit in that kind of uncomfortable place, doesn't it? It's yeah, really interesting. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It, is, it is interesting and it's also kind of about the kind of what women are allowed to joke about yeah and definitely. I think that is maybe the giant even when I was watching it like um, when we were showing, showing it in the film club I was thinking what 
Like, it's such a missed opportunity that they perform at the prom and that Jennifer goes to kill someone else. Mm. Instead of, like, why is that... Oh, it's yeah. this whole setup for, like, a big rape revenge or, like, you know, attempted murder revenge. But it is kind of framed like a rape. You know, yes. they take her away in their van. Mm. And, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, now I... But I think that's what's kind of interesting about it, that there are, like, there are more important things to Jennifer than, yeah. like, this kind of, like, loss of innocence. That's not... That's not something that's actually been taken away that's from her. They've actually they've done her a favor. Yeah, really. So I think that's maybe also maybe the jarring thing about it. Like if something like that happens to you, you're supposed to be upset and yeah. you're supposed to not be able to get over it. Yeah, and she does. Yeah, it doesn't really define her in the rest of the film. Does yeah. it? I mean, you don't even really know what happened to her in that van until much later on when it flashes back. Yeah. But it's the film kind of at first doesn't even seem interested in that. It's like, oh, this happened. Now she's back. Now she's this succubus, and it's more. It goes from there with her relationship with Needy, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and also the fact that she's she's her nickname is Needy. Like her name mm. is Anita in the film. Yeah. yeah. And they call her Needy, which obviously makes you think of someone who's like clingy and yeah. who needs validation and who you know is kind of a shadow of their friend and is always there. Yes. But also the fact that in some sense, because Needy takes on this protective role of her friend, um, she visits the occult section of her of her high school library. library. Love that. Uh, Love that. It's also very Buffy. That is yeah. very Buffy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was almost the same frame as Mika getting out his book on demons or yeah. like leafing through it and, ex- and kind of explaining or mansplaining to Katie. Yeah. Like, oh, well, you know, demons are like, you know, they torment you, blah, blah, blah. And she's kind of saying the same thing to her boyfriend. She's like, yeah. you know, this is what I found out. This yeah. is the data. And it's, it's growing out of this thing where one person is bearing witness to something utterly perplexing and mysterious in someone they thought they knew mm-hmm. you know you think you know your girlfriend you think you know your best friend you tell each other everything you share all your secrets they know you inside out and like vice versa and now they're behaving in a way that mystifies you yeah you know? and you're now kind of you've lost your bearings and you're desperately trying to like grasp the straws and figure out what's making them tick yeah throughout the whole film uh, when, sometimes in their banter between Needy and Jennifer, Jennifer says, uh, N- Needy gets crossed out. Yeah. yeah. Constantly. Yeah. And that's also the final thing that Needy says to Jennifer when they have that kind of like midair hovering yeah. like yeah. battle. And she crosses her out. Yeah, yeah so it true. is like they, they can't coexist, or like there's like there's two there's not enough like space for both. Yeah, in the sandbox. Like, yeah, yeah. it likes to have these like full personalities. Like they can't both be Barbie. One of them's got to be like whatever the other one was. Yeah, Cindy. Like, Cindy. I don't, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, that's the thing. You never remember yeah. the other yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. And it is like like you said, it's a story that gets covered in loads of teen movies. This idea of friends growing apart like I think that happens in so many doesn't it where it's like these two best friends have been friends since you know when they were children when it didn't matter then but now they've started growing into different social groups or different people mm-hmm. and is that told in a very kind of fun metaphorical horror way isn't it I yeah suppose. it's like me without you but with murder yeah exactly exactly <laughs> yeah. even that word like succubus it's like it implies like being a bit of a parasite or yeah. something and there is this kind of parasitic like bond yeah, between definitely. the two of them well you start off obviously with needy even her name you know like you said mary that the idea that she really really needs jennifer and kind of follows her around and she lives in her shadow. But then you realise, even when Jennifer becomes this uh, succubus, that she really 
needs Needy, doesn't she? And she follows her around and she wants everything she has, like the boys that fancy Needy, she goes for, and she kind of wants to take everything that's hers. Wow. Yeah. Poor Colin. Yeah. Oh, Poor God. Colin. Oh, he was my favourite. Yeah. My favourite too. Because he was like the artist. Like <laughs> the, star, the tormented artist. <laughs> yeah. Oh he was great. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, actually, you're right. Like, it is true. In that way, it, it, this film is more about, like, the process of individuation and, like, Jungian psychoanalysis, where mm. you become your own person when you're spending time alone and you're, like, self-reflecting. And that's what solitary confinement is all about. You yeah. have no choice. Like, the, you know, the door is locked on you and you have to figure things out on your own. You cannot... Um, you cannot avoid facing yourself by latching onto other people. You have to be alone with mm. yourself. Um, and then she realizes that she has powers too. Um, yeah. I didn't take it too seriously at the yeah. time, maybe because I, I, at that stage I was more into like the type of horror that was pretty straightforward, scary. I didn't, yeah. But coming back to it, I actually have a really strong appreciation for it. Mm. I think maybe also be, I was convinced to watch it again um, a couple of years ago after I first saw The Invitation and I thought... Oh my god, I mean, this is so good. Yeah, it's by no means as perfect as The Invitation. No, it's not, it's, like it's one not. Of no. kind. But, yeah. but, but, but similar kind of ideas of this, balancing these kind of like very human themes with like actual horror thrown in as well, you know, it is, I suppose so many of the best horror films do that, but Karen Kazama does seem to sort of, she, she's quite good at that. Like yeah. re- real relatable kind of human issues with this kind of genre stuff at the same time. That's yeah. true. Mm. I look forward to seeing what she does next. I know she had The Destroyer recently with Nicole Kidman. Yes. Yeah. yeah, 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 which was very good. Yeah. And I, I got to interview her for that oh, at, wow. at London Film Festival. Mm. And it was her with Nicole Kidman. So obviously they were very much like, Get more. I only had five minutes with them both, and BFI were like, "Make sure you get more from Nicole Kidman." You know, she's the bigger name. But I was like, "I really want to speak to Carrie <laughs> some about the invitation." I was like, "I don't even really want to ask her about Destroyer." It's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I said. So. Oh, well, it was actually Nicole Kidman. I said, you know, oh, what was it that attracted you to this project or something? And she was like, "Oh, I saw the invitation, and I, I wanted to work with mm-hmm. Karen Kasan." I was like, and "Yes, <laughs> Nicole, well done." She is. I think like Nicole Kidman just like basically like has like a list of female directors, and she's like going to work with all of them. Yeah. She's really wow. into doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I hope Nicole directs actually. I think I think, you I know, think she'd be good, wouldn't yeah. she? I think she'd be really good. She just makes really good choices. I mean the amount of people she's I mean she's worked with Kubrick. Exactly. You know, like all of the people she's worked with, the amount of you know, Lars von Trier like the amount of stuff she's done, she must have a really good knowledge by exactly. now and experience. Yeah. I mean, that brings us neatly to the end of the conversation. Unless, Sarah, you wanted to ask or add anything else? I think, I'm, I think yeah, we're yeah. at the end of the series. Yeah. But thank you so much for Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. <laughs> Where can people find you? I mean, for the, again, for the two people out there who... <laughs> uh, so the podcast called The Evolution of Horror, you can find that on all the places you get podcasts. Uh, and you can find us on Twitter at EvolutionPod. Thank you so much, Mike. And to all our listeners, thank you so much for being with us in this series. We've had so much fun discussing all the women in horror representations. Follow us on all our socials and donate to us uh, online. Mm -hmm. And And just well done for sticking with us because I know that some of you are not horror fans. But we (laughs) are looking after you. You are safe with us. You're always safe with us. We want the best for you. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.